0: Today on Hanging with Champions, we'll be hanging out with our first international Olympian who just happens to be one of the top speed skaters in the world. She's a two-time Olympian, a world champion, and an animal lover who is the only person I know who's ever used Facebook to track down a lost parrot. From Team Canada, Evany Blondin joins us today. So come on, hang with us on Hanging with Champions. And welcome back to another episode of Hanging with Champions, where every week we hang out with Olympic stars, past, present, and future. I'm Patrick Kiedis from NBC Sports, the Olympic Channel, and Westwood One. And you can hang out with us, too. You can subscribe and get notified when the next Hanging with Champions episode drops. So wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Google, Pandora, iHeart, TuneIn, Spotify, and Stitcher, we're there. And you can also leave comments on our social channels on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Well, over the first couple of months of this pandemic-induced podcast, we've had the luxury of hanging out with some of the biggest American Olympic swimming superstars like Dara Torres, Natalie Coughlin, and Summer Sanders, short track legend Apollo Ono, we sat down with figure skating's Paul Wiley, and current swimming star Caleb Dressel, even with a cameo appearance from Tim Tebow. That's where we've been, but today Hanging With Champions is kind of opening up the Olympic aperture and going international, and we'll be hanging out with some of the biggest Olympic names around the world. And our first international guest on Hanging With Champions is evany Blondine, a world champion speed skater from Team Canada, and eveny welcome to Hang with Champions. I'm sorry you lost the bet that you're the first international star to join <laughs> Hang with Champions, but we are grateful to have you. How are you doing?
1: Good, thanks. Thanks for having me, Patrick. This is awesome.
0: It's, it's wonderful to have you, and you and Team Canada and the speed skaters and short trackers around the world, you've had a hell of a week. Because just a couple of days ago, the ISU came out after several months of kind of assessing and diagnosing how a speed skating season happens. If it does, you found out a few days back that at least the first couple of months are going to be canceled, delayed, pushed back. Uh, what 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 was your original thoughts when you got word that you've been training so hard and now your season is at least hitting pause?
1: Um, well, actually, in long track, there – exploring the possibility of having a hub city in the Netherlands. Um, So we're still kind of waiting for that decision. Uh, Our World Cups were officially cancelled. I think it was Poland, Norway, US and Canada. Um, So those ones are cancelled, but they might go ahead and still have the first four World Cups in the hub city in the Netherlands. So we find out approximately in two weeks if that happens. Um, Unfortunately, on the short track side, Um, I don't think they have the luxury of even exploring that option so as for them I think everything is cancelled which is really unfortunate because I know they've been training really hard so it's it is what it is you know like it it, it's it's not the greatest thing but at the same time um, realistically with everything that's happening in the world sport right now is not really the main priority so um, yeah it's it's not the greatest, but um, it, I think it could be worse too.
0: <laughs> <laughs> were you and your teammates, and even skaters from the other federations, were you involved in any way in this whole process? Did they give you, you know, kind of guidelines or outlines on this is where we're thinking now when it's July, or was it basically you're just training with the blinders on and waiting whatever the decision could be?
1: We were pretty much training with the blinders on and uh, yeah the mentality behind that at least for myself is if the season were to go ahead which in the back of my mind was a very slight chance that it would go ahead um, I would be extremely upset at myself if I wasn't ready for those World Cups so I just I just kept training and uh, put my head down put all the hours in on the bike and on the ice. And, um, hopefully, hopefully it still goes ahead, but I'm definitely skeptical. <laughs>
0: yeah, so how come? I, you know, I, I read a couple of articles back, even, mm-hmm. you know, four or five months ago in, in late April, early May. And you kind of like me, I think we're cut kind of the same cloth as far as our realistic expectations and beliefs on what could return, how and why, but you were always in the camp of, I just don't really see it happening unless there's a big medical breakthrough. Why was that for you?
1: Um, mostly just looking at logistics and the different countries and who could participate, who can participate. I wouldn't see, um, the, the World Cups going ahead if major countries like Korea, Japan and, and China and the States couldn't participate. Um, so that's kind of where my head has always been at. And also just, um, the travel, like if we were as Canadians, if we were to go to the Netherlands for say six weeks, if that's how long we'll be there for, if the hub happens. And then we come home and we have to quarantine for 14 days without um being able to go outside and being confined to our house because that's what our rules are like our government rules are for canada um like we wouldn't be able to go on ice and then the lead up to potentially skating world championships if that were to go ahead and in china um would pretty much be altered right like so it, to me, like logistically, I don't I don't know if it's even doable at this point, and mm-hmm. so I, that's why I'm a little skeptical. <laughs> um, I know like it would definitely be nice. I, I'd rather race than not race at all, for sure. Um, I do think that like our national team is gonna try to find opportunities for us to race mm-hmm. in Canada mm-hmm. if everything is canceled. But um, and, and in order to prepare properly for Olympic season, you, you can't go an entire season without racing. Yeah. You're gonna be out of touch. So. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where my head's at.
0: (laughs) Is is there a consensus with your teammates, both uh, short trackers and long trackers that the decision that was made is the most prudent decision?
1: Um, I believe so. I think the whole team was on board with that. And, um, like the short track team is mostly based out of Montreal and we're in Calgary. So there's a little bit of a a disconnect there with all the miles (laughs) between the, the two cities and two provinces. But, um, but yeah, so I, but I think I truly believe that everyone, um, thanks that cancelling everything right across the board and mm-hmm. potentially having the hub city um, in long track, I think every, everyone thought that that was um, the proper safety measures for all of the athletes. Um, and we, we all know, we've all experienced it. When you go on the road and you're sharing hotels, you're sharing uh, um, like, uh, uh, what is it called? Like food, um, the, <laughs> the restaurants. Like buffets, sure the buffets and everyone's touching everything <laughs> like when one person gets sick there's like mm-hmm. a train of a lot of people that get sick right. at the same time and um especially the flu I think it was last year or two years ago maybe like there was a flu going around and it was going up around to every team <laughs> and it was not pretty so it's like we know how these things all go down and mm. um and so I, I think that yeah everyone's kind of on board and um, for sure it's disappointing, but at the same time I think it's for everyone's health. So,
0: And, and I'm sure you, we all know that uh, there's been a lot of divisiveness here in the United States about COVID and about transmission and about mask wearing. And really everything, everything here has become so hyper politicized. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the numbers in Canada, uh, Justin Trudeau and the, the Canadian uh, health officials seem to have done a really good job on convincing all Canadians that it's real. Trust the facts. These are the, the these are the criteria we need to follow as constituents to tamp it down. And you just look at the caseload of about 400 cases on average per day in Canada versus about 40 <laughs> to 50,000 here in the United States. As somebody living in Canada, born in Orleans. When you see what's happening between the two countries, as far as their realistic approach on on what's happening, uh, what what goes through your mind when you see how two countries sharing a border have such divergent approaches on how to how to walk through this?
1: Yeah, I think I think absolutely. Like I I, I don't want to speak ill of our neighbors down south, but.
0: it's okay um, i'm sure i've done it many times it's fine
1: (laughs) but no i just think like the different approach and um like with the lead and and uh trudeau versus trump i think is they have completely different mindsets right and um us being canadians i think we're always very cautious and that's just in our nature as canadians and so um, and Trudeau just, we went the cautious route where, uh, as I think
0: Trump maybe didn't
1: go, didn't go that route. He, he took the, the other way on the
0: highway. But, yes, um, a different but, yeah, extreme, I would say.
1: Different extreme, absolutely. And so, yeah, for sure, like, yeah, I think mm-hmm. it's just in our nature to to be more cautious. Yeah. And sometimes I do think we're maybe a little too cautious. But um, in this case and with COVID, I think that, um, yeah, we took the right approach. and. Mm-hmm. And the cases, for sure, like we still have some cases and we still have to take the right precautions. But as an example, here in Alberta and Calgary, like we barely have any cases um, and we still have to wear masks in public. Like I'm every time I go out, I sanitize like my hands. Like I don't know how many times if I touch a door, I'm sanitizing my hands. And um, So it, I think it's just more in our nature to think that way, um, just with the way Canadians are, you know, sure. like we're... I think we're a little too polite sometimes, you know. Like <laughs> you see someone walking into a building behind you and they're like two hundred meters away and you're like standing there holding the door for them and just waiting. <laughs> <laughs> like cut <laughs> kind of in front of someone in the grocery store. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But I think well, it's just it's just the way we are as Canadians and uh sure. yeah. So.
0: I, I think the, the world certainly needs more kindness and more uh uh, humanity and and generosity yeah. and and compassion. So it, I, I appreciate that uh, you and the Canadians uh, have have that approach, even if it's a little bit uh, on on that side of the spectrum. Uh, I, I I do certainly appreciate that. Do do you know? I, I've had maybe five or six friends who have been uh, uh, COVID nineteen positive. Uh, they've all recovered. Uh, none was hospitalized. Two were fairly serious, mm-hmm. but they could not leave. But oh, uh, have, have have you had friends? Have you had family members, acquaintances? Who had um, the
1: only, Yeah, the only um, person that I know of that's close to me is so my old coach, uh, Mike Rife in Ottawa. His mom um, was actually in a nursing home. This is actually, I think it happened in um, maybe April, uh, March, April-ish. Um, so right at the beginning of when everything went down, she was in a nursing home, and unfortunately, she passed away from COVID. Um, but that's the only one that's been really close to me, um, and so so that – obviously like initially I was like oh wow like this is uh this is real at first I was for sure skeptical I think everyone had questions right and I think that's only normal to to kind of question it and like oh like one day they're saying this one day they're saying that and so with all the information and there's so much information out there like at at a certain point you're going to start questioning things but that one kind of hit home for me so um, so I, I would say at that point I, I started taking things a little bit more seriously. So yeah.
0: Well, so, sorry for your loss and your family's loss. Um, that's extremely tough. And you're right; it, it put it puts a real live face on mm-hmm. something that we haven't seen for you know 100 years across the globe. Yeah. Um, you brought you, you brought up earlier. The, the, the impact that it's had on you and your uh, fellow teammates in team Canada is just as far as pre- preparing for the 2022 Beijing winter games mm-hmm. uh, for, for the, for, for the non stringent followers of your sport, uh, explain mm-hmm. to them why missing a couple of months or potentially why missing one season in a non-Olympic year why it is so vital why is that so critical because it's a four-year cycle for any athlete training for the Olympics and you take out one of those uh one of those pieces of the puzzle it's a huge huge issue
1: yeah for for us in speed skating especially and uh I know for like every long distance sport that's out there Um, you want to build on every year. And so our off seasons, we don't have much of an off season. We have like two weeks off completely. Then you start training again slowly. And then um, after a month of that, then you go back to full training. And so for us um, missing an entire year of what could potentially be competition season um, is huge. It's, it's learning, it's learning from your mistakes. And, and we literally like, the year after the games that's when the cycle starts again for us it's not just the couple months before the games it's a four-year preparation and a four-year build into the olympics and um when you see you see frequently in the longer distances like from year to year usually the skaters like you get just a slight percentage better every year but that's because you're able to build off of your your past right and you build on the volume and as long distance athletes we never stop building the volume you just keep it going like for four years, <laughs> usually at the the end a- after an Olympics, then you like I personally take a little bit more time off and buy a little bit more at, like two months instead of mm-hmm. one month off. Um, but yeah, I'm still keeping it active. It's not just <laughs> three months of not doing anything kind of thing. So so yeah, it's just it's really important, but also like physically and mentally like going going mm-hmm. to a start line at the beginning of every season. I'm always so nervous for that first race, but if you take that first race away and like all the races leading up to the Olympics, then what kind of nerves am I going to have when Mm -hmm. I haven't competed an entire year, you know? So it's, it's, it's important for us. And Mm -hmm. and hopefully we're able to to figure out a solution for that. And if it's, if it's competing domestically and trying to find like other sources of, of ways to stress yourself out like for a week or something even if it's not (laughs) skating, like we're actually supposed to be racing next weekend um here in calgary practice racing on the track okay and uh we found out from the university that we still don't have the go ahead to 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 race next weekend so who knows if that's going to change before next weekend we have no idea um if they're going to come out with um other safety measures and if they're going to allow us to do it or not but our coach was like, Well, if we're not racing on the ice, then we're gonna go going to go to Nose Hill maybe and do some hill sprints. Oh, <laughs>
0: because, that like, sounds like I mean, an awful like, second option. Yeah,
1: completely <laughs> different. But like, he's <laughs> like, Are oh, we gonna do something? We're all gonna race for it. <laughs> okay, all <laughs> right. Gotta prepare myself maybe a little bit more mentally for that one. Right. <laughs> right.
0: Well, okay. h- hanging out here with uh, Evany Blondine of Team Canada, Olympic uh, speed skater, and, you know, we, we talked with, uh, with Summer Sanders a couple of weeks ago, and she, w- she was only in one Olympic Games in 1992 in Barcelona, won the 200 butterfly, individual gold medal. With the summer games that now certainly are in jeopardy of taking place, uh, whether they've been pushed back a year to Tokyo 2021, if they don't happen next summer, they don't happen at all. It may jeopardize random Olympians where Tokyo was going to be their one and only chance to make an Olympic team and enjoy the Olympic experience. So I guess my question to you, Evany, is how, how many in, in your speed skating industry and group, I mean, could this be career threatening for some athletes? I mean, there are, there are major financial implications. There are sponsor implications. There are so many other things besides just getting on the ice and competing. I mean, could, could losing a full season for some of your colleagues and friends out of the sport just because they don't have the resources to continue?
1: Absolutely. Um, for sure. And, and a lot of the funding that I receive throughout the year, like we do have the government funding and I do have sponsorships supporting me and, and family friends also supporting me. Um, but a lot of my funding comes from prize money. And if you're not competing this year internationally, there's no prize money for that. So, um, so yeah, I, I think it, I think it's, it's going to be tough. And I, I are, have already seen and heard of some, um, some retirements and that I, completely wasn't expecting and I think just the whole COVID thing and everything that's happening around the world I do think it's put a lot of strain mentally on on everyone on on athletes but every everyone in general right and and for sure like um, mental illness has has seen a huge huge spike um, with everything going on and I think that's only normal right like I I was definitely I suffered from depression the year after the Olympics and there was one week at the beginning of COVID when I had to quarantine that I was kind of dipping back into that and I luckily I caught myself and I I, I had the resources luckily to 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 get myself out of that um having gone through it before but it's definitely tough and I most definitely see some athletes um retiring and especially summer games right like for me like I, I've always said like I after this or after these next Olympics, I might go one more year. I am not doing another full cycle. So like if if the winter Olympics in 2022 are canceled, I guess, I guess that's it, right. That's, I'm calling it a career. And there's not much I can do about that, but especially for summer games, like I know there's many athletes in Canada, if not around the entire world that this is maybe their first chance at qualifying. This is maybe their last chance at qualifying. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's the reality and you kind of got to face it
0: too, right? So. I'm glad you brought up the, the whole kind of uh, uh, impact mentally on, on athletes and I think just on people in general because mm-hmm. so many people have lost their jobs, their family dynamics have changed, the stress with raising kids and teaching kids mm-hmm. and you know, can they pay the mortgage or the rent and all those things are, are absolutely legitimate. So, And it's happened with me. I haven't worked at official events since March 13th. And mm-hmm. two hundred events have been knocked off of my calendar, when we all have stories like that. So when you brought up a minute ago that you've had some some depression issues in your past, but then you recognized it, you said about a, about a weekend, how did you recognize it, and how did you know how to kind of self-correct instead of falling um, back to where you were maybe a couple of years ago?
1: yeah the the trend for me for for myself, um I'm going to be pretty open here, but um the trend for me is always i start with migraines i start getting migraines um, and frequently they're um like uh what is it called like stress migraines where you lift your shoulders up and it's the muscles that are tensing okay. um back of your head and and so on and um so the migraines started again and um the anxiety the not sleeping properly um the my eating habits were sometimes i'd forget to eat for like the entire day I'd I'd like have coffee for breakfast and then I'd leave for training and then I'd come home for lunch and I was so anxious and my head was just all over the place that I would just I'd skip lunch too and then before you knew it I was training my second afternoon training and I was like couldn't function and I was like oh right I didn't eat today (laughs) and so I don't know I was just catching those signs and then um, what helped me tremendously actually after the Olympics um, and that entire year of feeling ashamed for my performance at the games because I was, I was a multiple medal threat in multiple distances. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I came home empty handed And so I, I'm the type of person that failure is, is huge. And, um, and I struggled a lot with that. I came home and I, I, I just kept telling myself, like, you failed. Like every second of the day, I would remind myself that I had failed. And so, of course, I dug myself a hole and um, but animals for me have always been um, a part of my life. And so I have a parrot. I have an African gray parrot named Gizmo and I have a St. Bernard Pyrenees cross Aww. humongous dog um, <laughs> called Brooke. And so and even with those two animals, I was like, okay, hey, this isn't enough. I need more. <laughs> so, I started uh, fostering for the Coffin Humane Society, and we would bring. I like to focus on special cases. I studied in and veterinary technicians. So, mm-hmm. um, the special cases for me, like helping animals that are really in need, um, really helped me mentally kind of recover. So, I was healing these animals, but at the same time, by helping them, it was helping me kind of mend myself back together again. Like feeling like I had a purpose. Sure. And sure. so, uh, so yeah. So it was. Uh, it was a little bit of that. And we fostered again, um, this couple months ago. Um, we had a cat that had, it was a reserved cat and okay. Melvin, and he had to get his leg amputated. So we picked oh. him up straight oh. from, straight from the, the vet and, uh, right after his surgery and here he was like hobbling around on three things.
0: I don't know.
1: It was just, it was, I'm really sad, like I I would have kept him unfortunately um, with the circumstances of how the foster happened and he had to go back to those original owners. Um, but uh, we would have had a cat if
0: uh, we were allowed to keep them.
1: <laughs> it's a cat, a dog, and a bird. We might as well keep adding to the
0: family. <laughs> it's just the, the, the Blondine Zoo keeps uh, keeps yeah. welcoming all beasts, oh, large yeah, and small.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: always. Well, I, I wanted I did want to bring up Gizmo because that was one of the really neat stories that I uh, had read leading up to uh, watching perform the last couple of years. But bef- before no. we get to Gizmo, because I want to give him his his due course. <laughs> um, one, I guess one last question on on the Olympics. So, back in yeah. 2010, you were a short tracker, did not make the team, mm-hmm. considered quitting, and then was you were convinced or talked into trying long track instead. 2014 in Sochi, 2018 in Pyeongchang, and now mm-hmm. looking ahead to Beijing in 2022. As you mentioned a second ago, you, you came came home from Pyeongchang with without a medal. Is is that a driving force for you? I mean, do you do you really feel the need to kind of self-justify your career, your position in the sport by claiming a medal in Beijing. Is 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 that one of the chief reasons that you're so focused on Beijing?
1: Absolutely. <laughs> I'm not going to deny that. <laughs> um, yeah, for sure. Like I've had my struggles since Pyeongchang, but I think the reason why I'm still standing here and talking to you and still in the sport and, um, and last year it was, a year that was well it was by far my best my best year my entire career and so I think uh Pyongyang um just fueled the fire even more and that's how I've always been um from a very young age like I'd fail at something and then I'd come back even stronger um afterwards and and so it's yeah it's a it was a <laughs> throwing some gas on the fire. <laughs> <laughs> well, so that for, was Kim Tang. <laughs>
0: yeah. And I think you're right, because we, we we see so many breakout stars at various ages in your sports. I mean, now mm-hmm. Kadira didn't really splash on the scene as the 500 you know, wonderkin until a couple of years ago, and she's now in her yeah. early 30s. Uh, Irene Voost has been just a legacy in the sport for almost a full decade, Sven Kramer and uh, Ted Yon mm-hmm. Bloman, I mean, it's, it's a very long list of uh, wide ranging break. I mean, the length of it had a tremendous season as well last year at a young age. So, uh, looking back, I mean, you're, you you were I just turned 30, correct?
1: That's right, yeah. Okay. So, disgusting. but last year,
0: to me, you, know, you, you certainly had great successes a few years back, but watching you, especially in that World Cup season, you were a threat at just about every distance there was. Mass start, 5,000, 3,000, 1,500. Uh, if you were in the field, you were a threat to not only get in on the podium, but but to win. And mm-hmm. watching you last year, the World Cup event in Kazakhstan, in, in Nursultan, to me, and please correct me if you don't feel this is uh, an accurate portrayal, but to me, that weekend really signified the second coming of Ivani Blondine's career, because not only had you uh, earlier in that, in that meet that weekend, won the 5,000, uh, knocking off Martinez Sablika, but almost nobody ever does that in that type race. Mm-hmm. Then the next day in the 1500, you were in the, the B division, which didn't even give an opportunity to, you know, win gold, win silver, win bronze, claim the, 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 uh, the, the money that you get for the prize money you get for winning these events. And then I think it was your intermovers, uh, got ill or pulled out of the field and suddenly yeah. you're the next one in. So you're in the first pair the next day in the 1500 with Voost and company in that race. And what happened next? Um, I won somehow. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't know. Like it, it was, how, how do I explain this? So we had the first two world cups and they went okay. Like I got a couple miles in the mass start and my 3K wasn't far off um and our team pursuit was doing really well and the 15 was like it was decent it wasn't great but it was it was decent um we had a weekend rest in between world Cup number two and world Cup number three and we went to spain instead of coming back to north america we just decided we're going to go on a training camp we're just going to go do some cycling and i think that's that's what did it for me is is splitting those world cups up and forgetting about forgetting about competing but also giving my body the rest that it actually needed. So we went to Spain, we literally just rode around this beautiful area in Spain and by the water and it was it's the nicest place I've ever gone cycling. We've gone like quite a few quite a few places. We went to Girona, it was Girona, Spain and it was phenomenal. I forgot about racing, I forgot about all the stress and I just felt so fresh. I came back, we got back to Astana and it was went from like plus thirty degree <laughs> weather to minus thirty degree yeah. weather. <laughs> it was it was cold. But um but no, I just I think what did it is how calm I felt in that one week and giving my body the rest that it needed mentally and physically from skating. Um I was on fire. Like there was no one that yes. could stop me. And like and I'm a very um like emotionally invested type of person. And so sometimes I get too emotionally invested but I was kind of like in this relaxed mode of like being on vacation almost That <laughs> <laughs> like we got to Nur-Salta and the other thing too that I think that helped we were staying in the Rixos which is like a beautiful hotel in Astana and uh, there's actually there's actually a spa at the bottom of the hotel with like pools and hot tubs and whatever you want like saunas and everything and so like every day we just like we were still on vacation but like the entire team just like go into the saunas and to the pool and I don't know I think just the the relaxed environment and kind of catching like giving myself a little bit of a break just I I was ready to go back to race but no one was gonna stop me like I just I felt
0: invincible (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know how else to explain it I, I remember talking to my coach after Astana and like I had just won uh, I won the 5k I won the 15 and then we won the mass start there or the the sorry the team pursuit sure. there and uh, it was just a golden weekend and I sat down with Remmel and I was just like damn this is so easy like <laughs> I just have to be confident and relaxed and like everything was just mm-hmm. It was awesome. Um, How much
0: notice did you have before you knew you were going to be in the first pair?
1: Um, that was the other thing too, actually. So I was actually getting myself ready that morning um, to, go and, to go and race the B group. And then I get a text message from like on the team, a uh, group chat that we have. When we're on the road, we always have like group chat of the entire team, like the whole staff and all the skaters. I got a message on there and it was like, even you're not in B group anymore, you're, you're in A group. And I was, I was pissed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you were, I was pissed. Mo- most people would receive that as welcome good news, right?
1: Yeah, I, I was mostly mad because the 1500 was right before our, our team pursuit. Okay. And so in my head, I was like, all right, like I'm gonna skate 15 in the morning, come back, have lunch, relax a little, like it'll give me more time to recharge. Mm-hmm and uh the 1500 and then the team pursuit were like back-to-back events I think I had like 45 minutes Mm -hmm. between the two and so I was pissed I was actually really mad but I went out there and I won (laughs) just like that was my first time on a podium in the 1500 meters at a world cup but also like I won it and it was just it was so surreal like I was the first pair I skated the race and I was like oh yeah that's a really good time like I wasn't ecstatic because I knew who was to come in the next pairs, right? Like Woost and Vibo mm-hmm. was there, and and all these like incredibly strong women, the Russians in the fifteen hundred. And I, in my mind, I was like, hey, like maybe I'll be fourth, <laughs> fifth. I don't know. Like, yeah, it's a great time, but like, there's so many more skaters to come. And then every pair that we go by, it was I was actually warming down. And like warming down, warming up for the, the right. team pursued okay. by, by running around the oval. And I was <laughs> I was keeping track of like, okay, here's another pair that's going. And oh, no one beat my time yet. All right, no one mm-hmm. beat my time yet. And I just kept going like that until the very last pair and it was Woos, I think. Was it Woos? I think it was Woos.
0: Yeah, Bo, Bo was in that last oh, pair.
1: B, yeah, Bebo.
0: Yeah, and yeah, Casalina. Uh, oh,
1: Casalina, yeah, that's yeah. right.
0: Yeah, who who were you most worried about?
1: I was honestly, I was most worried about Woos. And she was pair eight. Yep. And for some reason in my mind, that was like, that was last pair. And now Kodera also, like Mm -hmm. those two together in one pair, like they're monsters. (laughs) I was like, like, there's no way I'm winning this. (laughs) But it just kept going and going and going. And then like, as soon as I saw that Woost and Kodera didn't beat my time, I was like, I've got this. Mm -hmm. And then, and then I just, I stood by my team by the side of the rink, like on the outside. Yeah. and everyone was just watching and the entire team knew like we were celebrating before the last pair even went i mean <laughs> the,
0: damn your luck
1: yeah <laughs> okay
0: <laughs> because again for for the for the non speed skating aficionados the casual fans may not realize almost never does a does a gold medalist come out of the, the first pair
1: no, un- unless something were to happen, like in the 500 meters, for example, like if you got DQ'd and then you accidentally like dropped down into B group and then sure. you'd like come back and you're one of the metal threats, right? Like something like, like that. Like, her, like, like
0: a good. Vanessa Herzog issue at the start of the World Cup it, season. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. So it, it's very, very rare. And usually it's like instances where there's like yeah. a DQ, um, but this... Yeah, this doesn't really happen. Also,
0: so, so, so even what, what was that in, in your mind? Don't let me put words in your mouth, but was that almost the the renaissance moment for you? Not just moving ahead through the rest of that World Cup season, but really as a springboard to Beijing?
1: Absolutely. I, I think it was. It was a huge learning curve for me, too. Like, all the emotions that I felt then and and everything leading up to those World Cups. And for sure, like, it's always – it's easy when it happens; it just happens, you know. Um, but knowing how that happened and kind of dissecting of how I got to that point of feeling that way and how I was skating and um, everything from going to Spain and just taking a week break before another World Cup um, for sure. That's going to be in our plans in the future in preparation yeah. for um, for the next game. So, yeah. um, and it's it's all about trusting it too, right? Like yeah. you don't if you don't trust what you're doing. There's no, there's
0: no way you're going to be on the again. And certainly that has to lead to the, the, if there's extra disappointment for you personally, that this season has now been pushed back because mm-hmm. you want to continue the huge amounts of momentum, the tidal wave of momentum that you put together at the end of last season. So absolutely.
1: Um, yeah.
0: yeah. And there's a perfect spot to press pause on this first of our two part podcast, and we'll have some fun off of the ice with Eveny in part two next time. So great thanks to Canada's two-time Olympian speed skater, Evany Blondine, for hanging out with us today. And as a reminder, you can hang out with us too. Subscribe and get notified when the next Hang With Champions episode drops wherever you get your podcast: Apple, Google, Pandora, iHeart, TuneIn, Spotify, and Stitcher. And we're also available on our social channels, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So for evening Blondine and our entire crew, I'm patch Thanks to all of you for hanging with us on Hanging with Champions.